Who are you becoming? In our faith with Jesus, if you're new, who are we becoming? Are we maturing? Are we getting better? Are we learning more? Uh, I'm, in, I'm in a season of, of, of listening and learning and then, of course, loving, but really trying to progress in our faith. And I pray that as we go through the book of James that we continue to ask ourselves, who are we becoming? And how are we changing? How are we improving? What does God do in our lives that drives us to action? So I just want to ask a question. Anybody a morning person out there? You can throw in the comments. Uh, I, it could be yes, it could be no, it could be sometimes, or uh, I'm a night person, or I, like my wife, she's neither a night person or a morning person, so she just enjoys her sleep. Uh, and I'm, I'm a total night person. However, as I get older, I do, enjoy, do tend to enjoy the mornings more and more. Uh, when I'm on vacation, I'm always the first one up. I'm always out of bed at 6 a.m. And, and trying to, uh, you know, to take advantage of the opportunity to, to sleep in bed. I can do that at home. But when I'm on vacation, I try to maximize my days. I'm, I'm up early and I'm out as late as I can. And I really want to enjoy the sights and the sounds and the adventure and the experience. And I was back, uh, backpacking last, last fall with my friend Mark. And we woke up. Uh, we were at this lake around 11,000 feet. We woke up and there was this beautiful fog over the lake. And it was just such a unique sight, right? When you see that fog and the, cloud, the sun barely making its way through. But we went down there. It was only, you can only see about 100 feet. And then suddenly and shockingly, within just a few minutes, I took a shot and then I turned my camera this way. And within one minute, the fog had lifted and it was gone and, and forgotten. In that moment, besides what the picture I'd taken, the people who had come up the mountain soon thereafter, they had no idea about this fog. They had no idea about the scenery or what they saw. And in that moment, it was gone. So as we're continuing James 4, we're at the end of James 4, uh, chapter 13 through 17. I'm going to keep reading. And you can uh, feel free to bring up your app and read along with me or if you have your Bible in front of you. I think it's really important that uh, I could certainly sit here and read the scripture and we'll have it up on the video, but, uh, but go ahead and get your phone out. Read with me, just like we would do if we were together. So James 4, chapter 13 through 17, I'm going to read the whole thing and then we're going to go through it. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? Why do you not, what, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't, and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So as we've gone through this with, with John and Hannah and, and um, you know, the different speakers we've had with Isaac. We know that James is, is a bit of a harsh, a harsh speaker here, and he's speaking to audience, his audience, and, and, and he doesn't really hold back. Uh, and I know in our culture, myself included, I try to be sensitive, I try to listen first, and then respond, and I try to be nice and, uh, and cordial in how we communicate. But James is just putting it out there. And this isn't just at the end of 13. Uh, John and I were talking about this, that as he goes through the chapters, it's like he's getting more and more emboldened and more and harsh as he, as he delivers the message. We might call it harsh, but I like to call it more direct. Um, so he puts it out there with really no restraint. It doesn't seem to care too much about people's feelings. 
while we may not be like James, and how, uh, I think some of us, or myself included, can identify this and how I might speak to my parents, or how I might speak to a really close friend, or how I might speak to my kids. Uh, I'll, I'll use kids. As I speak to my kids, I'm very direct. I don't hold back because I know the truth I'm trying to communicate them. Or if they've done something really wrong, I don't say, you know, Everett, we really should consider a different way of, of you know, hurting your sister. Uh, why don't we do it less next time? Uh, I'm going to be very direct and to the point. And so I think James is a bit more like that. He sees what's going on in people's uh, lives, and he wants to be very direct on the best way to live their life. So, in chapter 13, let's start di dissect these verse by verse. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. So what's the problem with this statement? Um, the problem is that we presume to be in charge of our lives. And James is going to get to this in a second. So just, I'll go through this verse by verse. We'll be able to do things today or tomorrow. I'm going back. I'm going to keep going back between this and, and the verses. We are in charge of our moments and our destinations, meaning this or that city in chapter 13. We're in control of the duration of our work. We're going to spend a year there in control of what we'll do. We're going to carry on business. And lastly, we're going to talk about how successful we'll be. We're going to make money or we're going to make a profit, as your Bible may say. So this way of talking and thinking is presumption. It's presumptive on, I'm going to plan and do all these things in the next year. And what James is saying later is that this is boasting. And I'm going to get into this, but in some, we're boasting in something that is not known or is not known or is in, in any certainty at all. We do not know what tomorrow will bring, nor can we control it. We don't understand what life is and who God is. So here he, here he goes in, in chapter 14. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Why do you plan all these things for the next year of all these things? I mean, I, and I'm going to address this a little bit. That uh, I'll just say now, he's not addressing that we shouldn't plan or we shouldn't have uh, intentions or aspirations. We should certainly do those things. But let's not it be so presumptive uh, that we believe that this will all happen without uncertainty and checking with the Holy Spirit, checking with God on our life. So he says this, what is your life? You, and here it is, you are a mist that happens for a little while and then vanishes. What actually is your life? Or more directly, what he's saying is, he's, he's addressing them saying, you don't know your life. He's trying to put it, simplify for context and perspective. And I have this, uh, kind of like the fog I opened up with, I have this water bottle. And, and if, you, if you can see this, if I, if I spray this, you saw the mist? All right, I lost track of it. That took about three seconds for the mist. And that is what is Paul is saying, or sorry, that is what James is saying, is we are a vapor, a mist, like the morning fog. You're a puff of smoke. You know when you get a match and you... You strike it against the box, and you get that little puff. If you were to watch that puff for as long as you can, you would see it for about three seconds. And this is the metaphor that James is using. Our lives are short. They're fragile. They're not in our control. And some of the biggest things that bring us to this reality of our frailty and our fragility is suffering and death. Right? We've all experienced this, us as a Hill City family, uh, we experienced this over several years that we've been in, you know, been going, and and most recently we had a a, 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 a family member in uh, in our church uh, suddenly pass away, and so we're, uh, in, you know, all of us were reminded of the frailty and the fragility of our life and the vapor that we are, that we have. 
And it reminds us how close we are to eternity, right? And, and we think, like, maybe we'll live till we're 80. Maybe we'll live till 90. Maybe we'll live till 60. Maybe we're in our 40s. Maybe you're 10. It's just when these things happen, they really try to put it in perspective. And that is what James is doing by teaching this, is talking about our posture towards understanding life as a vapor, a mist, a snap. So we all tend to forget this, and we don't love to be reminded of this. Some of you right now are probably not feeling so good as we go through this. And as I read through James, like, ugh, that doesn't feel good in my, in my fragility that this could be the end, right? Um, and we don't really handle this very well. And just to put it in perspective, how fragile are we? Hold your breath for about 30 minutes and you won't live. That's all it takes. Just cut off oxygen for a few minutes and you're gone. Um, or maybe in our, in our current world, an invisible virus, something that seems so insignificant and invisible. And yet here we are on uh, beginning of June and over you know, 100,000 Americans have passed and 300,000 people around the world. So he wants to bring this all into perspective and to understand what is your life? You are a vapor, a mist that appears and then vanishes. Continuing on at 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. So instead of saying, I'm going to do all these things, I'm going to travel, I'm going to make money, I'm going to have this business, that business. He's not saying, don't think those things, but let's start with the statement, if it is the Lord's will, then we will live and do this or that. So he's not telling us, like I said, not to plan and um, just to take a posture of whatever will be, will be. Uh, it's not that disconnected from our lifestyle. But it's about saying that all your planning, thinking, proposing dreams and goals, aspirations, intentions, affections should be done under the sovereignty of God. This is a life surrendered to God. So it really is saying, if God has me, then the mist in my life will linger one more day. If God has me, and if it's God's will, then I'll live today. And if that's true, then I propose under God, according to his will, to act and live to his purpose and glory. So I want you to just meditate on this and thinking, if I knew my life was a mist and a vapor and I had fragility and frailty, not let that uh, paralyze me, but it should empower me and liberate me to, to, to really say, I'm going to now enter my day under the grace and humility of God that today he wills me to live and I get to go do this or that under his glory. I hope that's good news for you and you shift it from not just being the negative thing, but to a liberation of how I can be thankful and humble and not be presumptuous under what my life will be like. And when that's disrupted, I fall apart. But to take each day and say, today, God's will is that I live and I get to go live for him. Amen? Say amen online. So let me talk about boasting for just a second. The New Testament actually encourage us to boast in Christ. So boasting by itself is not evil. That's not what James, he's saying the boasting of what I just talked about for the last few minutes is the evil part. So we should boast in Christ. We should boast in weakness, boast in the cross. It's not a problem. True, honest boasting is biblical. But arrogant boasting is evil. So our sense of independence, our self-sufficiency will be nothing if we don't surrender to Christ. 
So how do we think about the future and our opportunity? If it's the Lord's will, then this is how we should live. And lastly, I'll say this. This is not just a mantra that you say that it's the Lord's will and it becomes mechanical and robotic. But it's more of a, a statement that, um, and it's a, it's a statement, a principle, and a posture towards life. When we begin to say, if the Lord's will, then I'll do this or that. It's, it's, a, it's a contrast to who you are to God and that you are a vapor. And James, James wants us to understand and feel this. He just throws it out there and it's bold, but he's really trying to make sure that we understand. He could say, your life's short or your life's not as long as you think it is. But no, he's saying it's a vapor, a mist. And as I just showed with the water, mist lasts for three seconds. And in the grand scheme of eternity, that's what our life is. Let me continue in 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. So I'll just make this a little bit of paraphrase. Once you've been told, you've read the letter or you've heard the message and refuse to obey of the doing, it is a sin to you. So we understand that sin, a lot of times we think of it as uh, what we call commission sins. And commission sins are a lot of the things that we might read uh, in the Ten Commandments or a lot of the commands throughout the New Testament about how to live life and avoid doing things like murder and other various other, uh, other items that we could talk about. What he's directing here is called omission. And that is, it, uh, we understand sin that doesn't just bad, count bad acts as sin, but also good acts left undone. I'm going to say that again. We understand sin, that it doesn't just count bad acts as sin, but also good acts, uh, good acts left undone. So it's not just the crimes, but it's the omitting of the good. It's the good acts left undone. So these are things like the sin of omission, which is the things that I'm looking at my life, and I'm maybe not doing all the bad things, but I challenge us as believers and maybe who are those, those who are new to the faith to really look inside your heart and say, what are the things that, God, you need to expose even further? And may I not just know them and understand that, hey, that's not a good part of my life, but I'm not going to do the good that I ought to. What James is saying is if you know the truth and it's been exposed, that by not doing them and not addressing them is sin. We are a mist, a vapor, and should be reminded regularly that if we know the good, then we must strive under God's grace to do good works. So I want to drive home the point about living as if our days are numbered. Uh, a mist, a vapor, a snap, a match with the smoke, the fog that's lifted within minutes or seconds from the lake. Uh, this is something we all wrestle with. And what am I doing with my time now that I know it's, it's limited? What am I doing? Uh, most of the Psalms, so I'm going to move from James to Psalms 90. As we know, you turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Listen to this. In the morning, it springs up new, but by evening, it is dry and withered. Similar, another metaphor. Vapor, mist, fog, snap, matches, grass in the morning, withered in the afternoon. And here he says, if only we knew. So here's this truth that he just revealed about the brevity of life. And he says, if only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is great as the fear that is your due. It's a little complicated in how the English translation was. 
But it's not, it's not that your life doesn't matter. It's your life is so brief. Life is so common, so quick, grass or dust, that it is futile for you and me to try to create a meaningful life on our own. Because on our own, we simply don't have enough time. Now, we might say I have 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, and it's not to be, uh, it's not to take away the fact that we shouldn't strive to take advantage of this life. But he's just, Moses is saying, and we can study the life of Moses, everlasting, everlasting, we're this little part, and so let's just understand our little part in this broader story, and we need to have that posture towards our life that we have a short amount of time. It's like grass in the morning that withers in the afternoon. So the point is, if we only could see, we could understand. The problem is, we don't understand and we don't see. <laughs> so let's put our lives in the context of God's big story. I want my life to be part of your plan, God. All the epic things I can do on my life, as long as I could live, even that is still too short for me to make a, a broader experience. And we're part of this big mosaic of people in his story. And I want to be part of that story. And I'm just one maybe little stitch in that tapestry. Lastly, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days to gain a heart of wisdom. I can't make wise decisions if I don't understand my place in the context of knowing that my days are numbered. Think about vacation. You, have, you know your vacation may only last seven days, right? So you're probably not going to spend the first five or six days, right, sitting there just kind of sleeping in, uh, maybe laying by the beach. Well, I know some people who go on like vacation, and that's all they want to do is sleep, eat, lay on the beach, read a book. And that's, that's good for them. For me, I would look at those seven days. Okay, I have seven days. I am go if now that I know this and I know the finiteness <laughs> of, is it finitude? I think it's, yeah, of my life that I can start to map out. Now, I don't know when my life will end, but if I approach it in the sense that I have limited time, I will make a much different decisions and decisions that, per Moses, are wise decisions. So show me what to do with my limited days. If we embrace that God has given me years in life, show me what I can do. Make decisions that bring glory to you and not live for my glory. My life is simply, as I've said, too short and small to live. For who? For me. My life is too short to live simply for me. So I should spend my short and small life to live for God and others. So to close this out, here are the key takeaways. I would say from James, as I started about the, the three major points he talked about, and segueing to Moses. Living as if our days are numbered and to gain a heart of wisdom. Learning to live within the context of what God is up to in our world, of this everlasting to everlasting, and understanding our cultural moment, of where God has us right now, and understanding that we're part of this big story, so that we can allow Him to leverage our skills and time for His glory and His purposes, not ours. Allowing Him to leverage our skills and time for His glory and His purposes, and not ours. Teach us, God, to understand our frailty and our insignificance. You are in control. I'm not. You are everlasting. I'm finite. You are God, and I'm here to spend my days doing the good that you have asked me to. I'm going to pray this out. Heavenly Father, teach me to number my days 
that I might gain a heart of wisdom and fulfill your purpose for my life. We are to live that life has a point and we're not it. Live as if our time is limited. To live as if we are invited into everlasting to everlasting and part of God's story. When we see our time, talents, and treasures within this context, we find a greater purpose way beyond what we can find in our own glory. God teaches these truths. Let them stick. God, I pray that we would study this even further. And I pray that throughout this week, we'd wake up and start our days saying, God, if it's your will be done, that I'm, I'm so glad I get to be a part of your story. If my life, this mist, this vapor, gets to tarry on for one more day, that I spend my time wisely for your glory, God, and your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I want to read a meditation that I've listened to probably about 25 times. And it's about vapor. And it's based on the book of Ecclesiastes. I want you to close your eyes and imagine some of the imagery in this reading. Uh, feel free to, to watch as well. Um, but teach us, God, to understand our frailty and our insignificance. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Most scientists estimate that the universe is 13.77 billion years old and that the Earth is 4.5 billion years old. While human beings have only been on Earth for less than 20,000 years, 200,000 years. To put those numbers in perspective, if you stretched out your arms and your entire wingspan was representative of Earth's geological history, you took a nail file and took just a little bit off the edge of your fingernail, you would have just wiped out all of human history. There's this Carl Sagan quote that, about a photo of Earth taken from Voyager on its way out to deep space that echoes the sentiments of the Kohelet, the teacher in the ancient wisdom book called Ecclesiastes. Here's the quote. Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner. In the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust, suspended in a sunbeam. So here we are on this pale blue dot, tiny specks of dust coming into existence for a moment, hurling through space and time, only to flicker back out after a few moments. These moments, these are all we have in this life. We work, we laugh, we cry, we make love, we write books, we build empires, we wage wars. We often try to ignore the fact that these moments are temporary, that all our empires and the gross national product, our art and our literature, our $300 designer genes, all of our knowledge and technology, creativity and legacy is erased. It's all going to flicker out at some point with everything else, vapor, Havel, meaningless. Everything and everyone is a vapor, here for a few moments and then gone. 
This sobering thought can be depressing or it can be absolutely freeing. We can either go the way of many around us and ignore this fact, medicating and numbing ourselves in avoidance of the truth of our humanity, or maybe there's another way. We can embrace it. We can recognize our humble place in this universe. We can recognize the silly, silliness of human arrogance and empire. And perhaps, as a result, we can learn to appreciate and fully experience the moments that we have as the gifts that they are. Think about when you were young. Do you remember getting worried and stressed out about things that seemed so important at the time? Now, how do you feel about those things? The issues that felt like life and death, like how the kids didn't give you a fair turn on the playground that day. How do you feel about that now? Do you laugh about it? Does it seem silly? So what are you worried about today? Do you really think it is any less silly that you were worried about as a child? Your job, vapor. Your apartment, vapor. Your school loans, vapor. Everything and everyone you love and worry about, it's all vapor. Are you worried about being unique or important? In our society, we worship our individuality. We love to talk about our fingerprints and our snowflakes and how every individual is unique. But have you ever looked at a snowflake? I mean, they're all kind of the same. Back the camera up a little bit and you are nothing but a human being, a speck of dust in time and space. Not all that distinguishable from the seven billion other specks of dust swirling around you. How many of our moments on the pale blue dot do we waste worrying and stressing about the vapor? The Kohala, the teacher in Ecclesiastes, shows us the vanity of human toil and worry. Another teacher came and taught about the vapor like this, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what are you worried about? What causes you stress? Because it's going to the dirt like everything and everyone else. It is vapor, mist, smoke. Havel. This doesn't have to be depressing. In fact, it might be liberating. Finitude, after all, is actually what makes life sweet. Christmas time can be such a wonderful and magical time of year because it only happens once a year, not in spite of it. Parents treasure their moments with their young children at home precisely because they know these moments won't last forever, not in spite of that truth. So take a breath, recognize your frailty. Recognize that things feel so weighty and wearisome in the back of your mind right now are nothing but vapor. Feel your breath. Recognize your lungs keeping you alive with your ability to make them work or not. Your heart is beating. Your cells are working together to keep you alive. And it's all magical and mysterious and beautiful. Life on planet Earth is a gift and you only get it for as long as you get it and then the match gets blown out. So set your hearts not on things of earth, not on the vapor, but let go. Fully open your heart to both the gift and the giver, the mystery, the beauty, that in which we live and move and have our being, that in which we call God, the oneness who holds the vapor together, who somehow bring meaning into the meaningless.